But I hope that you're with me because it's right from God's Word, okay? So just remember, this isn't some plot, some ploy. This isn't some pop psychology. This is just, this is just straight from God's Word. But here's, here's the preface that I need you to understand as we get ready to go there. And we're going to pray again in just a minute because I want our hearts to be right. Did you know and do you realize that decisions that we make today affect our destiny tomorrow? The decisions that we make today can affect our destiny for tomorrow. Now, what's hard is, just like we sang a lot today, and there's great scripture to all back this up. Romans talks about this. It said that the wages of sin or what you earn from sin is death. Now, what it doesn't tell you is this. Yes, the wages of sin is death, but the life of living it is slavery, bondage, and miserable life. We may think somehow in our flesh that it's fun, but it it has a, a pleasant season. That's the deceptiveness of sin is it can have some pleasing moments for our flesh, but then it gets its hooks in us. And then we realize it's in control and we're not in control and our lives are not joyful and great and wonderful. Nobody living a life of sin is saying, "Woo, I feel like an overcomer. Nobody's thinking that they've got a lot of peace. Nobody's shouting victory. Nobody feels like they're fully in control. They feel ashamed. They feel the weight. They feel like they're on a course that maybe they can't even get out of. But I'm here to tell you that there is a person named Jesus Christ that paid for that sin, but we have a process to do, which is confessing and repenting of our sin and changing the way we walk, the way we talk, the way we live. And it concerns me that there's a growing number of believers that believe that they can stay engaged in their sin and that they're still going to make it to heaven. And yet that's contrary to the Word. Now you can say, well, you know, Christ paid for me. Yep, He paid once and for all for that sin, but He didn't expect you to keep living that way. In fact, the Apostle Paul tells us this, this, I I am this wretched man. Who can save me from this body of death? And he doesn't leave us hanging like there's nothing we can do. We just have to keep living in sin. He says, but Jesus Christ is the answer. He's the one that saves us from this body of sin, this death. And Jesus himself is so specific. He talks about this in pretty brutal fashion. And so I want you to understand this morning before we get started that that's the issue that I'm talking about. We, we have to ask ourselves this big question that's going to be on the screen here in just a minute, which is, are you willing to bleed to make it to heaven? Are you willing to bleed to make it to heaven? It's a great question. Are you willing to bleed to make it to heaven? Because it's a contrary thought for today. So we're going to pray real quick, and we're going to jump into what Jesus himself taught. And and I hope that we see this this very clearly this morning, get our right hearts and our right minds. So would you pray with me? Lord, as we open up your word, I pray for the convicting power of your Holy Spirit on every last one of us that points out areas where we're not right, points out areas where we're not aligned with your word, that points out areas where we're protecting our flesh, and then allows us to repent, and then the comfort of the Holy Spirit comes in and reminds us that if we'll confess our sin, that he is faithful and just to forgive us. 
Because, Lord, if we just feel convicted without a means of getting out, then it turns into shame, and your word is very clear that there's no condemnation, there's no shame for those that are in Jesus Christ. So, Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place. We ask that you would speak to our hearts and our minds and help us to evaluate how we're living and what our values are and whether we're, we're under the delusion that we think we can live like we want and still make it to heaven. Lord, convict us of that falsehood right here, right now, before we even get started. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Your decisions today are going to affect your future, and the future may be the eternity. Would you give up your eternity for your decisions today? And we may not always think that your decision right now is eternal, but there's a growing number of Christians, like I'm saying, people that call themselves Christians, people that call themselves believers. They're engaged in in not like a, a gray area sin, but engaged in outright against the Scripture sin, and they think, I'm good to go. People living together, people hooked in pornography, people uh, practicing homosexuality, people cheating, people, all these things that the Bible says, don't be deceived. These people will not inherit the kingdom of God. And if you don't inherit the kingdom of God, then you only inherit one place, and that's hell. And Jesus taught about this, and we're gonna, we need to look at this. This is in Luke chapter 16, if you join me there, beginning with verse 19. He just finishes talking about the kingdom and the law and the prophets and how powerful those are and and what it's all about. And we can either embrace the Scripture and believe that it's true since God is the Word and the Word is what upholds us and the Word defends us and the Word surrounds us and it's sharper than a two-edged sword according to text. But he tells this story that's going to I hope that we don't have any of those. I'll take that back. I'm not even going to say that word. (laughs) I hope that if you're somebody that believes that there's no hell and that there's no judgment this morning, that you hear the clear words of Jesus Christ today. Because the 30 and under crowd are beginning to believe that there will be no judgment. And there is no hell because God is a loving God. And right from the mouth of Jesus, we see a very different story. So here we go, Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 24. There was a certain man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and he fared sumptuously every day. That means he ate very richly every day. But there was also a certain beggar named Lazarus who was full of sores, who was laid at his gate. Now, we're going to stop there for just a second so you can get the culture. Here's a rich man, and God doesn't hate rich people, just... Just get that out of your brain. He's not, getting, he's not punishing anybody or, or getting on anybody because they're rich. But notice the situation. You've got the man that has resources, the man that's got everything, the man that has the ability to change lives and help the fellow men around him. And at his gate, where he walks in and walks out every day, is a man that has the opposite of that. He has no money. He's a beggar, and he's got sores. He, he's living a miserable life. 
And it doesn't share it in the text, but again, according to Jewish history, according to this context of how they're speaking about this, basically the rich man ignores this man that's been laid at his gate every day. He walks past him, doesn't see him, doesn't care for him. He just continues to eat and have a great day. And man, this is a fabulous life. And he forgets what his life was given to him for. And here's what happens. He says that man, that beggar man, was desired to be fed. He would have been happy to have the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Great picture, right? And so it was that the beggar died. And he was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades slash hell the rich man, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus, not the New Testament Lazarus that gets raised from the dead, but this beggar Lazarus, in his bosom. And and now they're giving a description here that I, I can only touch upon. It takes too long to explain it. But before Jesus Christ, everybody faced the grave. There was no Savior. They'd been hearing about the Deliverer coming, but God had been teaching all this time that my people will not be cast away. I will keep my people. And part of this teaching of Jesus is what he calls Abraham's bosom. Abraham, the father of our faith, they were kept by the faith, held close. That's the bosom part, okay? They're held by the faith of Abraham. So those people that died in the faith before Jesus Christ were not abandoned. Oops, sorry, thanks for living the life, but you get to go where everybody else goes. And God remembers them. Notice that it says Abraham, the father of faith, is holding them close, waiting for the deliverer, which is Jesus Christ to come. We move on. Look at what he says. He lifts up his eyes in torment. Hell is not going to be a party place. It's not going to be a place with you and all your friends and all your homies having a great time. It's torment. He lifts up his eyes and he sees Abraham and notice what he says. He cried and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. Isn't it amazing that now that their roles are reversed, now that the rich man has a need, he wants Lazarus to meet his need. And the rich man who lived a very rich, prosperous life completely ignored Lazarus's need every day. And now when the roles are reversed, please send Lazarus to take care of my need. This is horrible. My, my tongue is swelling up. I'm burning up. I'm in torment. Send Lazarus to come and help me. And Jesus, being the kind, gentle Jesus, doesn't say, dude, you ignored him every day. Why shouldn't he ignore you? But he doesn't say that. But he helps us to understand that our life is something more than just to be lived here and there. We have a responsibility as kingdom people. We have a responsibility as Christians. We have a responsibility as believers of Jesus Christ that we should do what he did. And he always saw needs and tried to meet them. And I'm not talking about handing out checks or anything to homeless people or guys holding signs on the corner. That's between you and your conscience. What I am saying is that your fellow man is our business. And to turn a blind eye just because we're busy or somebody will take care of them, it's not the government's responsibility. It's the church's responsibility. 
There was no government responsibility in these days. It was the church's responsibility to care for the sick and the needy and the orphans and the widows. You see, we want to pass the buck on. Somebody just passed legislation to get this done. There is no legislation. Jesus Christ died that you and I could be set in motion to be the cure for this world. And if we forget that, we may end up in the same place as the rich man. Because remember, he's calling Abraham father. He's a Jewish believer, but he misused his life. We move on. Where do you want to spend your eternity? Do you want to embrace the faith of Abraham? Or do you want to disregard the good news of Jesus Christ and face eternity like the rich man? And again, he wasn't being punished because of his richness. He was being punished because he wasted his life. Verses 25 through 31. Abraham speaks back to him. Notice what he calls him. Son. Remember that in your lifetime, you received your good things. And what he doesn't say that he's intending is this, and he used it all on you. You received all that blessing, and you used it all on you. See, this is an American problem. I get my stuff, and I use that stuff for me. I get my raise, and I use that raise on me. I get that anointing, and I use that anointing on me. I get that blessing, and I pour that blessing on me, where God gave us the stuff to pour it out for other people. That's always been his way. That will always be his way, is that he gives to you so you can give to others. And when we become hoarders, spiritual, physical, emotional, then we've stopped the power of Jesus Christ. And now I just use what's for me, for me, because it's about me. It's not about us. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about seeing this world saved. It's about seeing this world transformed. He cares for every person out there, not just you and me. But do we live like that? You had your good things, and, and Lazarus had evil things. And again, he doesn't say this, but I made sure he was laid at your gate so you could take care of him. But you ignored him. You got all wrapped up in your job. You got all wrapped up in your kids. You got all wrapped up in soccer practice. You got all wrapped up in your business or whatever, making more money and getting more toys. And you forgot that I put you here to bless people, to change lives. Now he's comforted, and you're tormented. And maybe you are trying to fool yourself this morning, saying, I'm not rich. I don't have to worry. You are rich. You are in the top 10% of the world. You have toilet paper. You can walk into your kitchen and turn on a tap. And water flows, and you turn it off, and you turn it back on, it comes back on. (laughs) You have indoor plumbing. (laughs) You have opportunity for medical care. You have opportunity for retirement. You have opportunity to take out a loan. You have police and a fire department that responds when your house is on fire (laughs) or when there's a medical emergency. Other countries don't have that. If you can't run them to the doctor, your kids die. 
your house burns. There's no insurance. There's no, none of that. We're blessed people. But not to just soak up the blessing. We're blessed people to pass the blessing on. Because all of this, all this stuff that we're building in is going to go away. And the only thing that will echo in eternity is what we do with it here and now. What are we doing with our lives? What's the focus of our life? What's the focus of our worship? To sing songs? I'm not here to sing songs. I'm here to elevate Jesus Christ, the guy who saved my life and changed it radically. What about you? Do you want radical change in your life, or you just want to be left alone and be able to go to heaven? It doesn't work that way. And your decisions now, notice this. He probably thought he was doing good, because look at all that I've got. And what a radical change. And I believe that was part of his torment. I lived a good life. Why am I here? Mm, Because you missed the most important thing of all. He's comforted, you, or he's tormented, and, and, and now you're being tormented. And besides all this, I want you to get this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed. That means there's, there's no way to close it up. There's a gulf between Abraham's bosom, those in the faith, and those who have not used their faith. And it's a great gulf, a huge gap that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Look at this. There may be people on this side that have family on the other side. I wish I could get over there and help them, but they can't. And there's some on the tormented side looking up like, like the rich man is doing and saying, please come and help me but they can't. What was done in life echoes in eternity. A decision is made. Uh, A destination is set. Those things cannot be brought together. You can't pass from one to the other. And I know there are certain religions that believe this. You can pray people out of that. I'm just telling you the Word of God says that once that decision is made, it is set. When you breathe your last breath, you've made a decision either for Him or against him, and that's the end of the story. Nobody can pray enough, light enough candles, or do anything to change that. It is done. And we need to understand that we've got people around us that may be breathing their last breath, that our job is to change their destination from torment to faith. What does he say? Verse 27. Then he said, I beg you that you would send him to my father's house. I have five brothers that he may testify to them, or they may come to this place of torment. Notice what he's saying. I've got five brothers, and they've been living like me. That's what I read into this text. And I don't want them to face this. I didn't know this was going to be like this. I, I'm, I understand it now. Please send, send the beggar man over to my house and, and talk to my brothers. I've got five brothers. But notice what Jesus says through the person of Abraham. They have Moses and the prophets. Now remember, he just got done talking about the law and the prophets and the kingdom. 
So everybody that had been listening to his story understood exactly what he was saying. Moses is the law, and the prophets are telling the things of God. And they've got these things. They've been telling you these things. The Word has been telling you these things. Look what he says. They've got the law and the prophets. Let them hear them. Modern-day translation, you need to read, understand, and believe your Bible. It will save your life. It will change your life and get you on the path to the destiny that God wants for you. You can't just check out and think, well, somebody somewhere is going to tell me. You know what Jesus, right from his own lips, is saying? You've got the Word. Read it. Hear it. And he says... what a lot of people are still saying today. No, 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 no. I don't want to have to read the Word. (laughs) I don't want to have to live by the Word. I don't want to have to believe the Word. But if, if He goes to them from the dead, they will repent. If I just saw a sign, if I just had proof that there was a God and that He was really for me. If I had uh, some type of formal proof, I'm just telling you, if that's your heart, if somebody came to your door and said, hey, uh, your dead brother sent me, I'm the dead beggar that was at his street, and he's telling you that you need to change your life, do you think they'd really change their life? See, that's the danger, that, that when we start to drift from Scripture and that if Scripture's not enough to change our hearts and our spirits, then somebody, even a pastor, preacher, evangelist, it may change it for a moment, but if your life is not surrounded by the Word, it will not change you, and no miracle of God will change you either. The Scripture is the living Word. It is God. And if you can't accept the Word... You won't accept somebody that comes by your house or comes to your work. You won't accept a a vision from an angel. It'll bypass and you will go back to your lifestyle. So if you're hoping for some incredible glorious thing that's going to change your life, the incredible glorious thing that changes our life is the Word that was written down for us so we would have the hope of Jesus Christ. Look what he says. Abraham responds, you think that sending Lazarus is going to change him? No. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, if they don't hear the word, neither will they be persuaded though one rises from the dead. And you want to know what's crazy? This is still being played out today. Jesus Christ himself rose from the dead, and people aren't listening to him either. I mean, he plays it out perfectly. I'm going to rise from the dead, and there's going to be people saying, no, you really didn't do that. He wasn't really a man. He was just some historical figure, just a good guy. And here's the guy that overcame death, hell, and the grave, and people are still saying, yeah, I'm not sure I believe that. What more do you want? (laughs) I'll tell you what you want. You want to do what you want to do, and you still want to make it to heaven. And the Bible says you can't. And if it just ended there, we could feel like, okay, pastor did his good part. He reminded us that there's a bad place called hell. He reminded us that we've got decisions to make. But it ain't done yet, folks. 
Jesus doesn't just leave it alone. And I want you to understand that. Now we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 12 real quick. Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 4. Notice again this recurring theme. Therefore we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, people like the dead Lazarus that have chosen correctly, let us do what? Lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Now, I'm just a simple guy. And maybe some of this is like, man, this is just too much. Let me just share a little bit from my weekend so that you can understand. I have an ongoing feud with blackberries in my backyard. I love their fruit, and I hate their vines. And no matter what I do, no matter how much I cut them back, they grow. And every time we engage in this battle, I win a little, and they win a little. Because the tricky thing about blackberries is that they so easily ensnare me. Even though I'm trying to avoid them, I know what it feels like when their little hooks get in my skin. And they can find every loose piece of clothing, shoelaces, skin, gloves, everything. They find it all. And once they grab a hold of you, their tendency is not to let go. And you know what our tendency is? To pull. And it just sinks it in deeper. And do you see what he's saying? And that may be too simple for you, but I'm just a simple kid from the farm that understands how stuff sticks to you. And this is what Jesus is saying. Our sin and our choices has a way of getting a hold of you. And instead of trying to push through it, cut it off. Quit trying to navigate through the sin and the blackberries and cut them off. Lay aside. Put it aside. Get rid of it. All the weight. And the weight is the stuff that's not necessarily sin, but it's not leading you towards heaven. It's the stuff that's slowing you down. The stuff that's making your mind start looking more at the world than at God. He says, then... Once we've set that stuff aside, I mean, think about that. How fast do you run through blackberries? Then you cut all that stuff away. Then you can run with endurance. That means a long ways. That race that is set before us. There's a race set before us, church. Verse 2. We're looking to Jesus. Look at this. Once we've set our course, we keep our eyes on Jesus. Not the world around us, not the weird politics, not the preachers that messed up. That's all going to happen. We kept our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the one that started it. He's the one that's going to get us through. Who, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Look at this. He went through the hard stuff, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Another example of him being in power, and he's not struggling anymore. He's completed it. Verse 3, consider him, Jesus, 
who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become what? Weary and discouraged in your souls. Jesus faced horrible adversity. And if we forget that we've got somebody that made it through, we'll get bogged down and we'll get weary and discouraged and we stop fighting. We stop laying aside the sin. We start getting ensnared and that's discouraging. Notice what he says. You have not yet resisted to... Bloodshed. And he's using a little allegory here. What he's saying is, sin begins to ensnare you, and you're unwilling to get untrapped. I don't want to shed any blood. I don't want to have to hurt. And and I don't want to have to do anything that my flesh doesn't like. And then he uses this word, He says, you should be able to resist even to the point of drawing blood. And then he uses this word striving, battling, fighting, wrestling against sin. And I'm going to be bold enough this morning to say this. We've got a whole culture, not an age group. Don't think of an age group because it's rampant now. That is no longer striving against sin. We've just given in. And that's not striving. Striving means I'm fighting it with every last ounce of energy that I have. Striving means I've got my machete out and I'm hacking the limbs off. Yes, it's getting bigger sometimes, but I'm going to continue to strive against it. Instead of, it's just the way the world is. It's just my life. It's just, you know, I can't really help it. It's just my nature, you know, or even worse, you're depending on the full grace of God to overlook all your sin, and you haven't even asked for forgiveness. He won't forgive your sin that you haven't asked forgiveness for. That's why he says, ask. (laughs) And if you confess your sin, you'll be forgiven. Flip that around. What if you don't ask for forgiveness? Is there the promise that he'll forgive your sin and cleanse you from all iniquity? No, there is not. And I know this is heavy, but I'm telling you, the deception of this world and the deception of this grace movement, the deception of, hey, it's all okay, and God just loves me. He'd never send anybody to hell. This is right from his mouth that he shows that somebody's in hell in torment, and there's a way out. That's the good news, church. We don't have to go there. We can choose another path. We've got God on our side who has paved the way, but our job is to strive against sin. What's keeping you from getting married to that guy that you're living with? What's keeping you from coming clean on your taxes? What's keeping you stuck in the, the horrible cycle of pornography and shame and lies? You know what's keeping you there? You, you've not yet got to the point where you're going to resist to shedding of blood or any other addiction or bondage that's happening in you. You've got to press through it instead of just... Huh? We have to get rid of it. He gave us this example. 
That's why he said you look to Jesus. He knew what it was to have difficult things. He knew what it was like to be betrayed. He knew what it was like to face things that were severe and hard and painful. But the striving part for today, there are people that are just given in and said, well, you know, I know the word says that, but our culture has changed. The word doesn't change. And it doesn't matter if our culture has changed. Sin is sin. Weight is weight. And those things will ensnare you and keep you out of the kingdom. And I don't want that for you. I want you to be a blessed person. I want you to be a free person. I want to see people that know how to run that race with endurance and they're free. Nobody's inspired by the person in bondage. Nobody's inspired by the person that has a life that is sucks. That they're like, well, I've got the grace of God. It doesn't look like it. It looks like you're stuck and you don't know how to get out. It looks like you're miserable and you just keep looking up. It looks like you're wasting your life. That's what it looks like. And he goes on. Mark chapter 9. Now, the last one is from Hebrews, and Jesus per se didn't write that one. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit, but this is right from the lips of Jesus. Mark chapter 9, verses 43 through 48. He gives an incredible and, again, powerful, dramatic uh, illustration here. And look at what he says. If your hand causes you to sin, just blame the hand and keep going on. It's not what he says, does it? He says something pretty dramatic. Think about the people that are listening to him. <laughs> if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And everybody's probably going, hmm, I'm not following this guy. But he has it with a purpose. Look what he says. Why do that? It's better for you to enter into what? Life maimed rather than having two hands to go to. Do you see what he's saying? Now, we pair that with Hebrews, and what's it saying? You've resisted because about the time you realize you're stuck, I've got a choice. I either cut this thing off that's keeping me in sin, but that's going to be painful. And he's talking about something that feels very attached, something like sin that's part of our normal flesh. And he's, like I said, he's not telling us to amputate parts of our body. <laughs> Thank God. But what he's really saying is, this is a hard process, but you've got to make those hard calls. You've got to be willing to resist and strive even to the point of shedding blood with that thing that feels like it's part of you, that thing that feels like it's got you trapped. Now, you think about this. Even animals have a sense of this. Coyotes get caught in the trap. They'll chew their own leg off to get out. Humans? That's my parents' fault. Somebody's got to help me. We need legislation against these traps. We need to start a government program. We need, in fact, can I get a psychotherapist to tell me about these traps? Or how about we get out of the trap, and now that we know what the trap looks like, stop hanging around the traps. What? But, the, uh, yeah, it eliminates all of our excuses. 
what he says. You want to have life or do you want to go to hell? And notice the picture that he paints here. Do you want to go to the place where the fire that doesn't get quenched, where the worms that are attacking your bodies do not die, and the fire, and again, this is his uh, bold face, not mine. Their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. It never goes out. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. For it's better to enter life lame rather than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched. Notice he's emphasizing this again and again. Their worm does not die. Their fire is not quenched. It doesn't change. And why he would go from one body part to another, again, is cultural. In those days, you get caught stealing and they cut off a hand. And in those days, they had a clean hand, their right hand, and they had a dirty hand, their left hand. Right hand, you take covenants, you make oaths, you shake hands, you give greetings. Left hand is your wiping hand. Guess which hand they cut off if you get caught stealing? Right hand. Now you can't take oaths. Now you're, nobody's going to shake that hand. <laughs> you're eating with that hand. But there is no unclean foot. So he's trying to bypass a cultural understanding, but saying this is just something that feels connected. This is just something that is going to take some effort. This is something that's going to cost you. It's going to hurt. It's going to be painful to get rid of your sin. But you've got to ask yourself, do I want to be willing to bleed to make it to heaven? Or do I want to be comfortable in hell? Great question. Then he moves on. Now think about this one. Those of you that have eye fixations, this is your worst nightmare, right? If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Just reach in there and... Look what he says. For it is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched? Great question. And again, he's talking spiritually. But it's painful, it's hard, it's relentless to strive against the sin that is so apparent and so ensnaring around us, and either we're going to get stuck in it and say, well, it's okay. I'm telling you, It's not okay. Even more so, Jesus is telling you it's not okay. Sin is not okay with God when He sent His Son to pay for it. Do you see why this is so important? I'm paid for that. I gave you the path to that so that you didn't have to be crucified, so that you don't have to cut off your hands, so you don't have to cut off your feet, so you don't have to pluck out your eye. All you have to do is confess and change. And we say, I don't know, that's kind of painful. I don't know, it's kind of prideful. I don't know, it is hard. 
And unfortunately, our culture has changed. There was a time when it was expected that people confessed their sin, out loud repented, came to an altar, to a front, and had somebody pray for them and confess Jesus Christ. And now, I don't know if I can walk up there. I mean, do I have to literally say the words? I mean, we've just narrowed it down to, can't I just think good thoughts? Now you think about it for just a minute. Imagine if that was, if Romans 10, 9, and 10 was the requirement for heaven, that you must stand up in front of everybody and confess with your mouth. Would you still want to make it into heaven? <laughs> if you had to come up on this stage and say, hey, I decided to give my life to Christ today, and I just want to let you know I've been a rapist and a thief and a liar and a... If you had to say it out loud... Aren't you glad you don't? Aren't you thankful for the blood covering of Jesus Christ? But there still has to be confession of sin and repentance, which means turning so you don't keep going back to it. So I ask again, are you willing to bleed to make it to heaven? Because I tell you, I'm concerned as a pastor, the path that the church is taking. We've seemed to have made it about everything else except for defeating sin and elevating Jesus Christ. And that is the heart of the gospel, church. Jesus came to defeat sin and save sinners. You and me. He didn't come so we'd have a better worship experience. He didn't come so we'd get the Holy Spirit and have good times together. He didn't come so that we'd have comfortable seats. He came to defeat sin so that you and I would have a path to heaven. Through Him, the author and the finisher of our faith. But we keep saying, well, you know, it's okay. You know, it's legal now. It's this, it's that. God doesn't care if it's legal.